Well, hey, welcome, Be Free. My name is Ben. I'm the pastor here at Be Free Community Church in Alton, and we are a Christ-centered family that glorifies God by loving Him, loving others, and making disciples. That is who we are, a Christ-centered family, meaning that we are a people united by our mutual love and faith in Jesus Christ. That's who we are. Now, what do we do? We glorify God. That is the end goal and mission of everything we do together as a church. And how do we do it? How do we seek to glorify God? Well, we do that by loving Him, loving others, and making disciples. Right now at this time in our church, uh, in the mornings, we're going through a series on the book of Acts. And we're calling a series, Acts, the church and its mission. Because that's what we're trying to find as we go through this book together. We are trying to gain a better understanding of what the church is. And a better understanding of what we are called to do as Jesus's people. Who we are, what do we do? And my prayer for the series is that it wouldn't just be something to feed our heads so that we better understand who we are and what we should do, but that it would actually give us clear marching orders as we continue to live as this Christ-centered family that we are. And clear marching orders as we continue to, uh, to, to continue his mission into our communities and into the world. So we are, uh, this is the fifth week in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 41. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 41. That's where we are. And if you haven't been with us up to this point, let me just bring you up to speed. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, remember that word, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He gives them that mission. He gives them his mission. He tells them to wait in Jerusalem and then he ascends. He goes back into heaven. He takes the throne at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in heaven where he is still today. And then last week in Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 21, we saw the Holy Spirit come. We saw the Spirit come uh, like a mighty rushing wind, and we saw tongues of fire come down from heaven, and we saw that God's people did not wait a second, but at the moment that they received the Holy Spirit, they immediately began bearing witness to the mighty works of God that they had seen among them. And there's that word witness again. And before we go any further, I want to stop for a minute to ask this question, what do we mean when we talk about a witness? When we use that word witness, what are we speaking about? Because frankly, we've seen it twice already. I've used it twice today. But it's a word that we're going to find throughout the book of Acts. The idea of a witness is a major theme that we're going to see continually as we go through the book. And so what is a witness? Well, a witness is someone who has witnessed something. It's a silly definition, but I think it actually helps us understand what a witness is. A witness is somebody who has seen or experienced something and is able to tell others about what he has seen and experienced. We might call a witness to stand in a courtroom so that that witness can give first-hand account of what actually happened. So when we ask the question, what is a witness? We might say that a witness is someone who has a story to tell. A witness is somebody who has a story to tell or who has news to bring. And so in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, when Jesus says that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, what he's saying is, guys, you have a story to tell. 
You have a story to tell in Jerusalem, a story to tell in Judea, in Samaria. You have a story to tell to the ends of the earth, and that story is my story. Be free. Jesus gave these disciples his story to tell in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And it's the same story that we are called to tell as well. This week in the passage, uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 41, we're going to see Peter tell the story of Jesus Christ. So let's read the first number of verses, starting in verse 22. We're going to read all the way through to verse 36. That's most of the way through our passage this morning. And then I'm going to pause and pray before we dive in. So join me right here. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 36. I'll read it. Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan of foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. <clears throat> Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he, would not, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. This is the passage we will be in today. Let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we believe that these words are true. We believe that these words are inspired by you. That though they were written by the pen in the hand of Luke, you're the one who guided him. You're the one who gave him the words. You're the one that inspired this book. And so, Father, because we believe that, we believe it's worth the effort to labor and to long and to work, to understand what this passage is saying, not just so that we can know it, so, but, Lord, so that we can believe it, so that we can obey it, and so that we can delight in the God that we meet in it. So, Father, please change us today. Show us what your word teaches so that we can live in a manner that honors and glorifies you. 
Father, we ask you to do this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So when you're reading the Bible, tell me if you do this. You're reading, uh, you're tracking with what it's saying, everything's making sense to you, and all of a sudden you come to a comment, a passage that you don't quite understand. It, it confuses you, and you're not really sure how to figure out what it means. And so all of a sudden, even though you were understanding everything you were reading up to that point, that one thing you don't understand completely robs your attention. It steals all of your attention away from everything in the passage that does make sense, that you do understand. I confess that happens to me sometimes when I read the Bible, and it happened to me when I was reading this passage. Because in reality, the message that Peter is preaching here is very simple. It's very easy to understand and to follow. But as you're reading it, then you come to these passages about David. It's talking about how David died and how his tomb is there with them in Jerusalem and how David never ascended into heaven. And Peter starts quoting these Old Testament Psalms and it's hard to track with or know what's going on. And while everything here about David is important, and uh, we'll get to that a little later, everything here in this passage, uh, it's, David, David isn't the main point. The main point, rather, is the story that Peter's telling about Jesus Christ. Peter is witnessing to the story of Jesus Christ, and he's sharing Jesus' story in five parts. He talks about his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his sending of the Spirit. That's what he see, we see in this passage. Peter tells about the ministry, death, resurrection, ascension, and the sending of the Spirit. So let me read a part of this passage again, starting in verse 22. And as we go, keep your eyes out for those five things. Here we go. Verse 22. Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, He's talking about his ministry. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He's talking about his death. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He's talking about his resurrection. Jumping down to verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. He's talking about his ascension, or we might say his glorification. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing the sending of the Spirit. Peter's telling the story of Jesus Christ, his ministry, death, resurrection, ascension, and the sending of the Spirit. Now, the story of Jesus is actually something that most people in the crowds knew, at least in part. Because just think about this for a minute. The people in this crowd, they had gathered from all over the known world, all the way from places like Rome uh, to the northwest and Mesopotamia to the southeast, all the way from Libya and Africa. They had traveled far, far distances to come and celebrate this feast called Pentecost. Now, it actually makes sense that if they were going to travel to Jerusalem for Passover 50 days before, and then also for Pentecost, Pentecost 50 days later, that they would just do it in one trip. Chances are, a lot of these pilgrims in Jerusalem had been there for quite a bit of time. A lot of these people might have actually been there when Jesus was still doing his ministry, at least the end of it, and then when Jesus died on the cross. So the people here, they knew the story, probably. They probably knew quite a bit 
about what had been going on. And it's because of that that Peter can say here in verse 22 about Jesus's ministry, as you yourselves know, they know the story, at least in part. But Peter understood they didn't know the full story. They might know that Jesus did miracles. They might know that Jesus died. But they probably don't know what comes after that. Nor do they really know the full story of his miracles or the full story of what was going on with his death. And so in these passages, he's not just telling the story. Peter, he's unpacking the story. So let's go through these five parts of Jesus' story and let Peter unpack it for us. Join me, verse 22. First, his ministry. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Peter is saying to them, guys, you yourself know about Jesus' miracles. You know about his signs and you know about his wonders. But the thing is, these signs and wonders and miracles, they weren't just magic tricks. He wasn't just doing this to impress you and to entertain you. These miracles, they had power and they had purpose. They had power and they had purpose. He's telling them here that the power for these miracles came directly from God, from Yahweh, the God that they worshiped. He says that right here. He says, God did these things through him in your midst. And not only did they have power, they had purpose. God did these miracles through Jesus for the purpose of endorsing Jesus's ministry. God helped Jesus perform these miracles so that they so that they would believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus was a man verse 22 attested to you by God with mighty works. In other words, these miracles were meant to be signposts pointing them to who Jesus really was, confirming the good news Jesus was speaking, demonstrating the kingdom he was bringing, revealing basically that he was the real deal. And so they might have marveled at the, at the miracles and the wonders that Jesus was doing, but what Peter is telling them that every time they saw Jesus perform a mighty miracle, they were seeing the hand of God at work. That's the first thing we see here. That God himself is empowering Jesus to do his miracles. And they were meant to prove to them Jesus' identity and his ministry. That's the first thing that Peter helps unpack for them. The second thing, his death. Join me verse 23. He says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So you know that Jesus was crucified and killed, right? You know that he was crucified and killed at the hands of lawless men. But again, this isn't exactly the full story. There is more going on here than you know. Because when Jesus died, he wasn't being defeated. When Jesus died, he wasn't being overpowered. Rather, when Jesus died, God was working out his plan. Jesus' death was, it says here, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, verse 23. In fact, in Jesus' life, in his ministry, he actually told his disciples that this was going to happen. John 8, sorry, John 10, 18, he says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross, though terrible, though a tragedy, was according to God's plan. 
That's the thing that Peter is trying to explain to the crowds. The death of Jesus Christ was according to the plan of God. Now, I learned a new word this week. This new word is a word that I've never heard before. It's probably not a word that you've ever used either. Uh, the word is a photomicrograph. A photomicrograph. It, it's a strange word, but it means exactly what it sounds like. Uh, photography through a microscope. This is a, a photomicrograph um, of just a square centimeter, or maybe a square millimeter, of a, of a tapestry designed by the Italian artist Raphael in the 16th century. And when we look at it, it doesn't look like art. It just looks like a tangled mass of threads. And uh, there's, you can see some, some pattern to it, but it's not something that you'd really want to have on your wall. But then when you zoom out, you see the full picture. You zoom out and see that this little jumble of threads, this little mess, is just a little part uh, that when put together with a bunch of other little messes, the result is beauty. The result is a masterpiece. Now, I feel like when I face terrible things in my life and crises and trials and true hardships in my life, I can only ever see them as if through a photomicrograph, through a microscope. I can only ever see the mess that's going on there. I can't really make sense of it. I can't really see the beauty of it. I scratch my head and wonder, God, how could you possibly use this for my good? How could you possibly have a good plan here? And the reality is, I might not ever get an answer to that question. But even in the midst of my confusion, this is where I have hope. This is where I can find some relief. It's the fact that God is the master artist. He's the one who's got the full perspective. And even though I might not be able to see exactly what God is doing, I can trust that the terrible things that happen in my life are securely in the hand of a loving and good Father. They are securely in the hands of the master weaver who is weaving my life and all of history together. I can find hope in the fact that even though the world is, not, is out of my control, it is not out of control because it is in the hands of God. I can find hope that he is working all things, even terrible things, together for the good of his people. Case in point, Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus' death on the cross, though it was God's plan, was a terrible thing. On the cross, man killed the Son of God. That's a tragedy. That is the worst tragedy that has happened in the history of of the world. But even here, with the biggest tragedy in the history of the world, the master artist had a plan. It was, verse 23, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So number one, God was working through Jesus' ministry. Number two, God was orchestrating and planning Jesus' death. But now we see that God's work wasn't finished. Number three, the resurrection. Join me in verse 24. Peter continues, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus died, and then Jesus rose. You see, the crowds, they knew about Jesus' ministry. They knew about Jesus' death. But I wonder how many of them even knew about Jesus' resurrection. 
had even caught wind about the rumor of Jesus' resurrection. But here's Peter bearing witness to this resurrection, that this Jesus who died did not stay dead, but God, the one who orchestrated his death, is also the one who orchestrated and worked his resurrection. And in order to help this make sense to this Jewish crowd, what he does is he communicates to them that not only did Jesus rise again, but that this has always been the plan. That even King David knew that this was the plan. Join me in verse four, uh, 24 here. Um, and I think you'll see what I mean. 24, join me there. God raised him up. Talking about Jesus. Loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. He's quoting Psalm 16 here. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Again, he's quoting Psalm 16 here. And now as he continues, Peter explains why he quoted Psalm 16. Continue with me, verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Now this passage, it might seem strange to us and complicated to us, but let me break it down for you. Here's what Peter's saying. He's telling us that David wrote in Psalm 16, you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. But at the same time, Peter's saying, then David died. David's soul did go to Hades, to the place of the dead. David, uh, David's body did see corruption. So who exactly is David talking about here? Peter explains when David says that God won't let your holy one see corruption, he's not ultimately speaking about himself. That David is ultimately speaking about someone else. And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, what Peter is explaining is that David was talking about one of his future descendants who would not see corruption. A future king who would reign forever, eternally. A future Messiah that God would raise from the dead. Peter is explaining to his Jewish audience that even King David, hundreds of years before, knew that this was going to happen to Jesus. That he was going to die, and that he was going to rise again. That the Messiah, this anointed king, this Christ, would be raised again to eternal life, eternally. What Peter is saying to his crowd, the crowd surrounding him there, that day, on the day of Pentecost, is that the resurrection has always been the plan of God. And so the first thing he says to them is that God has worked through Jesus' ministry. Number two, that God is the one who planned Jesus' death. And now here, number three, that God raised him up. Now, 
Join me in verse 33, and I'll read through to verse 36. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Jesus' ministry, then his death, then his resurrection. And then finally here in these last few verses, he talks about his ascension, that he was exalted to the right hand of God, something we talked about just a few weeks ago. And then finally, that he received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, and he has poured it out upon his people. Five parts to the story of Jesus' life. Ministry, death, resurrection, ascension, and the sending of the Spirit. What Peter is doing here is he is bearing witness, again, to the story of Jesus Christ. Ministry, death. Resurrection, ascension, and the sending of the Spirit. And what he's doing is he's tying it into Jewish history, tying it into God's plan from ages and ages and ages ago. He's explaining to them everything that happened, that it was in the perfect plan and according to the power of God. And finally, he is concluding by saying, Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter here, he is bearing witness to the story of Jesus Christ. He is bearing witness to the story that's at the very heart of everything we believe as God's people. He is bearing witness to the story that we call the good news, the gospel, the story of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's a story where God, that God works in powerfully, and it's a story through which God continues to work in his people, in the world, in history. And if you want an example of just one man where this story, the gospel, worked powerfully, look no further than the man who is telling this story here. Look no further than the man, Peter. Because Peter believed who Jesus was, he actually declared among the, among the disciples that Jesus was the Christ. And he was zealous. Later on in Peter's life, he was ready to die with Jesus. We see that in Luke chapter 22. But then when things went downhill for Jesus, when Jesus was arrested and brought before the tribunal to be tried before his crucified, his faith wavered. And at the end of Luke chapter 22, Peter, this man preaching here, he denied Jesus three times. But then Peter witnessed Jesus' resurrection. He witnessed Jesus' resurrection, seeing clearly with his own eyes that the death of Jesus was no mistake, that the death of Jesus was according to the plan of God, that God vindicated Jesus Christ's life by raising him back up from the dead, ascending, bringing him back up into heaven, and then sending the Spirit. And Peter understood that everything he believed about Jesus was indeed true. And so now he boldly bears witness to the gospel. And he will continue to do so until his death. Peter was changed by believing the good news of Jesus Christ. And he is not the only one. 
Let's continue and read the rest of this passage now. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he, that's Peter, bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked, crooked generation. So those who received his word and were baptized, sorry, for those who received his word were baptized. And there was added that day about 3,000 souls. The gospel is the story of the person and work of Jesus Christ. How despite our sin, despite our brokenness, despite our rebellion, God loved us. He loved us and sent his son to bear the punishment that we deserve for our sins in our place. Dying as our substitute and then raising victorious over the grave. That anyone, anywhere who repents, that means turns from their sin and then turns and puts their faith and their trust in him and what he did on the cross in their place will be forgiven for their sin, will be forgiven for their rebellion and will be united with him in his resurrection life. Before, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is a story that you have believed. This is a story that you have already been transformed by. And be free, this is a story that you now are called to go into the world bearing witness to. To tell this story, the story of the person and the work of Jesus Christ to your co-workers, to your, to your kids, uh, to your family that doesn't know him, to your neighbors. To go desperately and urgently into places where people don't know him in order to share this message with them. To offer them the hope and the life and the joy that you have found in Jesus Christ. But if you're not a follower of Christ, if you've never come to a point where you have surrendered your life to him, trusted in him, I want to encourage you to continue to wrestle with this. Is Jesus who he says he is? Or rather here, according to this passage, is Jesus who Peter says he is? Is he actually the Son of God? Is he actually the one through whom God did amazing signs and wonders and miracles? Did he really die according to God's plan? Was he really raised back to life? Did he really ascend to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty? And is he really today sending the Spirit into the lives of his people? Because if he is, believe in him. Submit to him. Surrender to him. And you will find forgiveness, and not just that, but eternal life, family, and joy, and you will have the Holy Spirit in you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we believe the message of Jesus Christ. We believe the story of his ministry, of his death, of his resurrection, of his ascension, and we believe that he then sent the Spirit. And Father, for those of us who have believed that, we find so much hope in that. Our hope is based in the work, in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But I pray, Father, for anyone today who doesn't believe this yet, who hasn't come to the place of actually uh, surrendering to Jesus and trusting in him alone for the forgiveness of their sins.
Father, I pray that today would be a turning point. That today would be a day that they would say, enough is enough. I'm going to talk to this friend about this Jesus. I'm going to ask the questions that I've been wrestling with for so long. I'm going to make the decision to trust in Jesus and find new life. And so, Father, we trust you to do that. We beg you to do that today. And we worship you and glorify you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.